Welcome to episode number 34, The Truth About the Electoral College. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you are on Facebook or Twitter, and topics such as abortion, socialism, the Federal Reserve, the Constitution, tariffs, or birthright citizenship comes up, please share the TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. If you're listening to this episode on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment to scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. This is on the episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and now on YouTube. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. For those of you who are regular listeners of this podcast, you know that one of my favorite refrains is, where in the Constitution? Think back to some of the previous episodes, whether we were talking about abortion, Social Security, minimum wage, the Federal Reserve, or health care. I have pointed out ad nauseum that none of these things are powers authorized to the federal government in the Constitution. Yet liberals and progressives continue to try to convince the American people that the federal government is granted broad, all-encompassing powers. In the case of today's topic, the Electoral College, it is clearly outlined in the Constitution, yet many of these same liberals and progressives want to eliminate it. These folks are incorrigible. On the one hand, they tell us the Constitution does not do enough. On the other hand, they want to dismantle certain perceived undesirable components without going through the amendment process. So what is the Electoral College? It is a process or system outlined in the Constitution whereby the President of the United States is to be elected. The election of the President is not accomplished in a national popular vote where the candidate with the most votes wins the election. I will explain why this is shortly. Most people know this about the Electoral College because they have listened to Democrats bitch and moan about Al Gore and Hillary Clinton getting more votes than Bush and Trump but that tends to be the end of the discussion. So most people are left with that bad taste in their mouth about the Electoral College. Remember in episode number 29, The Truth About Vaping, I explained that before researching the topic for the podcast, I had this negative perception of vaping. If someone had asked me why, I would have been clueless. The perception was simply due to the media coverage I had ingested up to that point in time. The same thing happens to the way too many of our fellow citizens feel about major public policy initiatives. I want to set the record straight about, about the Electoral College right now. So how does the Electoral College work? Every state is assigned the number of electors that equates to the number of senators and congressmen that they have. So in most elections we have two candidates, a Democrat and a Republican. So there are two sets of electors standing by to cast their vote, one set for each candidate. So take my home state of North Carolina for example. We have 15 Electoral College votes two senators plus 13 House members. So there are 30 electors, 15 who are pledged to cast their vote for the GOP candidate, and 15 pledged to the Dems. If Hillary Clinton had won the popular vote in North Carolina, the 15 democratically pledged electors would cast their votes for her, and the GOP electors would simply go home. In order to win the election, one candidate must win the majority of the Electoral College votes. There are a total of 538 100 senators plus 435 congressmen plus three electors assigned to the District of Columbia. So that's a total of 538. Divide that by two. That equals 269. 
So you need 270 votes to win. So when you vote, you are actually not voting for the candidate on the ballot, but you are voting for the electors in your state who have pledged to cast their vote for the candidate on the ballot. Seems kind of convoluted. Originally, the way the presidential election was handled was whoever got the most electoral votes was named president, and the person with the second most votes was named VP. That changed with the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, where there were now two distinct ballots in which the electors voted, one for president and one for VP. If no one gets 270 electoral votes, the election is decided in the House of Representatives, where every state gets one vote. I never realized this fact until conducting the research for this episode. The House members do not decide who is president. The states do. Each state gets one vote, not 435 separate votes. So clearly, our founding fathers were looking to decentralize the presidential election. State sovereignty was to be maintained. A vote cast in Texas was not allowed to impact how an elector in California votes. Because of the existence of the Electoral College, candidates are required to build coalitions and win support from a wide range of voters. You can't win the presidency by focusing on one region of the country. Without the Electoral College, states like West Virginia, Rhode Island, Montana, and South Dakota would be ignored as the candidates focused all of their efforts on the population centers in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Texas, Boston. For example, the 55 Electoral College votes of California can be offset by winning a combination of states like Wisconsin with 10 electoral votes, West Virginia with 5, South Dakota with 3, Arizona with 11, Indiana with 11, Oklahoma with 7, Utah with 6, and Wyoming with 3. Without the Electoral College, the United States likely would not exist. See, the smaller states would never have ratified the Constitution if they thought the urban centers or the more heavily populated states held too much sway over the election results. But isn't the candidate with the most votes supposed to win? Not in America. We are not a pure democracy. See, democracies fail, just like socialism. Democracies fail because of the tyranny of the majority. As Walter Williams said, the Electoral College is an anti-majoritarian provision in the Constitution. As I have explained in other episodes, the Constitution is set up for a federal system of government, not a national. We fought a war to rid ourselves of a national system, namely King George. Did you know that up until 1824, the popular vote wasn't even tallied? There was no need to know who won the popular vote because the electors were all that mattered. The point of the Electoral College is not to win the most votes, it's to win the most states. Tom Woods or Kevin Goodsman originated an analogy of comparing the World Series to the presidential election. In the former, the goal is to win four games. In the latter, the goal is to win 270 electoral votes. If the World Series winner was picked by the team that scored the most runs in this series, the games would be played a lot differently. The strategies employed would shift dramatically. Apply the analogy to the presidential election. The goal is 270 electoral votes. If the goal was to amass the most votes nationally, the campaigns would be much different. For example, the GOP candidate would not ignore California. They would campaign there and siphon off as many votes as they could. And vice versa, the Dems would not ignore some of the southern states that typically vote Republican. Just because Hillary cleaned up in liberal California and that put her ahead in the popular vote count doesn't mean shit. California is not America. California is California. Republican candidates don't even campaign there, just like Democratic candidates don't campaign in Alabama or Mississippi. 
Did you know that the popular vote winner did not win the elections of 1824, 1876, 1888, 2000, and 2016? In 1824, John Quincy Adams was elected president despite not winning either the popular vote or the electoral vote. Andrew Jackson was the winner in both categories. Jackson received 38,000 more popular votes than Adams and beat him in the electoral vote 99 to 84. Despite his victories, Jackson didn't reach the majority 134 votes needed in the Electoral College to be declared president. In fact, neither candidate did. The decision went to the House of Representatives, which voted Adams into the White House. In 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes won the election by a margin of one electoral vote, but he lost the popular vote by more than 250,000 ballots to Samuel Tilden. In 1888, Benjamin Harrison received 233 electoral votes to Grover Cleveland's 168, winning the presidency, but Harrison lost a popular vote by 90,000 votes. In 2000, George W. Bush was declared the winner of the general election, but he did not win the popular vote, as we are all well aware. Al Gore did, garnering 540,000 more votes than Bush. However, Bush won the electoral vote 271 to 266. And of course, in our most recent presidential election, Trump received just under 63 million votes. Hillary Clinton received just under 66 million votes. However, Trump won the electoral vote 306 to 232. As I strongly insinuated already, opponents of the Electoral College don't give a damn about the Constitution. There is a movement called the National Popular Vote, whereby the states agree to allocate their electors to the candidate that wins the national vote. So instead of having two sets of electors, one for each candidate, I presume there would be only one, and they would vote for the candidate that received the most votes nationally, regardless of how that state voted. Forget amending the Constitution. Just force it down the throats of the people, just like they do it for every other progressive initiative, like FDR's New Deal, the Federal Reserve, gay marriage, abortion, and Obamacare. You must remember, when the states joined the Union, they were doing so essentially by agreeing to a contract, the Constitution. In that contract was this idea of the Electoral College. Changing that without going through the amendment process, also an agreed-upon term in the Constitution, voids that original contract. So from my perspective, if this national popular vote initiative actually takes place, one of the remedies available to the states is to secede from the Union since the contract in which they joined it has been voided. These national popular vote people are so short-sighted. They think if they get enough states to agree to allocate their electors to the national winner, that that will mean Democratic presidents for the next century. That's likely not the case. Republicans, while inept in running the country when they are in the majority, are not stupid. They will adjust their presidential candidates' campaign to hustle in Chicago, L.A., New York, and Boston. Instead of ignoring these largely liberal urban centers, GOP candidates can full-court press in these areas with get-out-the-vote campaigns. How many hundreds of thousands of Republicans in places like California, Illinois, New York, and entire Northeast don't even bother to vote? You think a Republican in Connecticut is motivated to get out in the November cold to vote when they know damn well that their preferred candidate have no chance of winning? The effect of this effort would be a lopsidedly favor heavily urbanized coastal regions over other regions of the U.S. Without the Electoral College, it becomes far more economical for candidates to focus their election efforts on a small number of highly populated regions while ignoring the rest of the country. 
This initiative, coupled with Democrats' obsession with amnesty for illegal immigrants, coupled with the fact that first-generation immigrants tend to vote Democratic, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70%, reveals their true agenda, their long game, so to speak. The Democratic Party wants to eliminate the Electoral College, replace it with the popular vote, allow illegal immigrants to vote, largely by promising them free stuff, and voila, they believe they have an insured, permanent Democrat in the White House. I hope this episode served you well by giving you a better understanding of the Electoral College. Keep it close by because, just like with the episodes about socialism, the idea of eliminating the Electoral College is going to continue to come up in the run-up to the 2020 election. Please join the conversation at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Thank you.